Hello, and welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Chris Hansen, Three Pillars SVP of Media and Information Services. And today we're joined by Whitney Queen, a woman who helps empower people with something all of us could use more of, financial literacy. Whitney is the president of Mentoro, a financial education company digitally transforming how employees plan for their financial future. Rather than simply handing employees an impersonal pamphlet on how to save for retirement, Mentoro's financial educators offer both a human-centered personalized experience and a technology platform designed to digitally help people who aren't money experts achieve financial wellness. We're very excited to hear her insights on the state of financial literacy in America, why companies should be deeply interested in promoting it among their employees, and how digital tools are accelerating the development of financial understanding today. Well, Whitney, it's so nice to have you with us today. Let's jump right into it. We'll start off with the basics. Can you share a little bit about what exactly financial wellness is and how does it differ from financial literacy? And the second piece of that question is, is wellness any different than just a basic understanding of, I don't know, for example, a 401k? And then also, what role does technology play in engaging consumers who may otherwise not think about their financial wellness as often as they really should? Thanks so much for having me, first and foremost. And I absolutely love this question. Um, I love anytime I can talk to anyone about financial wellness. So first and foremost, financial wellness is a rather subjective phrase. It means so many different things to so many different people. For some, it means stability. For others, it means the absence of stress. For many, it means a distant destination that they're constantly striving towards. But in reality, it's a state of mind. In its most simplest terms, financial wellness is the meaningful approach to the handling and the understanding of our money. So we believe at Mentor that everyone has the capacity to be financially well, regardless of their income potential. So that means it's a matter of health, not wealth. It's having a plan in place. It's having the confidence to make informed financial decisions. Uh, And most importantly, it is a process, not an event. So when we think about financial literacy, it, it really plays a huge role in supporting financial wellness. Without fully understanding the basic principles of finance or even deeper, the behavioral relationship that you may have with money, financial would be extremely hard to attain, right? So I like to think of financial wellness as the head and literacy as the neck. In other words, financial education helps us know which way to turn. And you brought up a good point with the 401k side of things. Uh, The two are closely aligned in the industry as I believe that's where financial wellness was kind of born and it, it always has had a natural fit. But it's so much more than understanding your 401k. A retirement plan is very forward-thinking. It's a future endeavor that we strive towards. But most people have myopic sight uh, or or nearsightedness. And they're only focused on what's going on right here, right now. Financial wellness encourages us to think not just about preparing for the future, but about learning from the past and how to handle the present. So financial wellness is holistic. It's all-encompassing, ever-changing, and most especially, very unique to you. And on the technology front, I mean, it's 2021. How can we do anything without sophisticated technology, right? So you think about all these different apps and all these different programs that are there to help 
fuel and propel those actions, help keep us on our toes. I mean, you think about notifications that you get on your phone just to remind you to do things. I think when we use technology in the right way for finances, it can really help us to stay on track. And I loved how you used some phrasing in there. I'm going to, you said it was a process, not an event, which is so similar to product development and digital transformation. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that within our conversation today, but I just, I love that phrase and I wanted to go back to it. It's a process, not an event. Oh, absolutely. I studied agile project management when I was getting my master's and really fell in love with the methodology. And I think it's so crucial that people take a similar approach to their lifestyle and especially to their finances. Yeah, Whitney, you're making me think about my own financial uh, wellness and how literate I am. I'm, I'm just curious if you know, like, what's the current state of financial literacy in, in American workers today? And and when when we say oy. that, like, what are we talking about? Yeah, oy vey, the current state of uh, financial literacy is alarmingly sad among American workers and the general population at large. I think statistically speaking, 43% uh, couldn't cover a $400 emergency if it presented itself. 60% are living paycheck to paycheck and only 42% have less than 10,000 uh, 10, saved in retirement. That tells me that there's a huge gap in financial education and the knowledge as to how to apply it. We aren't learning about positive money habits in school. And not everyone is fortunate enough to have a parent or guardian to kind of show them the ropes. Additionally, we're living in an instant gratification society, one that is fueled by FOMO or the fear of missing out, uh, one that promotes bad habits, and one that has hidden agendas, unfortunately. And so I think these have caused a lot of problems and derailed a lot of people. And we want to work to try to get those folks back on track. And I don't think that we would ever use the term financially illiterate. However, for uh, the next example, I'll use that term to kind of show some regular symptoms we may see in someone who needs financial literacy. I'd I'd break it down really into two categories. First being um, the need for basic understanding of financial principles and how to apply them. If you don't know those things, it's hard to know what next step to take. So at Mentora, we break it down into a very simple seven-step process, starting with something very simplistic like spending less and saving more, getting your debt under control, all the way up to building out your legacy and what you want to leave behind. The second, I think, would be for someone who might be financially illiterate or be struggling with those principles is that you're in some sort of financial triage. So maybe you're aware of what a budget is, but you haven't formed the positive behaviors to implement it and hold yourself accountable to it. And so you've gotten yourself into a little bit of a bind. Maybe that's because you're overextended. Maybe you haven't had you know proper savings or... Perhaps you don't have an emergency plan in place and something happens and you kind of derail yourself from there. So those would be the two ways. And I'd also like to add that you know, a lot of times these programs are tied to the financial services system. And you see on TV, everybody talking about the state of the market and the economy. And you hear them throwing out, you know, what's going up and down in the stock market. The average person doesn't really need to know the ins and the outs of the stock market or all the ways that they can invest to be financially well. Of course, that's a major component. But a lot of times the programs are 
fueling advisory level conversations or CFP guidance when the average person just needs, you know, some basic uh, financial literacy and financial wellness tips. And so how can companies play a role in this? What, what, what should they care about, right? When they're, when they're supporting their, their, their team members, and it has to do, like you said, with financial literacy and how does that benefit them in the short and the long run? It's a great question. And I think it's simply put by saying healthy employees make a healthy company. And that means physically, mentally, and financially, all of which can have a major impact to an organization and should justify why they should care, right? So I like to break this down into why we believe companies implement financial wellness to start with. Uh, I think it's for two reasons. The first is to solve a set of short-term issues. And the second is to achieve long-term goals. So we can break down those short-term issues into three categories, financial stress, retirement unpreparedness, and then fiduciary or corporate responsibility. On average, an individual misses two and a half days of work per year due to financially induced stress or problems. So that could be anything from having to stay out of work with your kid because you can't afford childcare, to unreliable transportation, juggling multiple jobs, dealing with debt collectors, being sick more often, you name it. But when you multiply two and a half days times your total employee population, it's pretty easy to see the impact that financially unwell employees could have on turnover, productivity, absenteeism for sure, uh, excessive 401k loans, and higher healthcare costs. Secondly, I think this probably wouldn't come to a surprise, come as a surprise to most, but we're living in the midst of a retirement crisis. As we touched on, most people are not adequately prepared for retirement. We're seeing low 401k participation, which is causing higher fees uh, and a top-heavy workforce. So then that brings me to my final one, and that's that we're living in the days of social and corporate responsibility, probably like we haven't in the past. And financial uh, fiduciary liability has always been the headliner here, but we have got to move past the CYA, you know, what's required of me phase and into one that's making a difference. Just checking the box for offering a retirement plan or any benefit for that matter isn't going to cut it. We're going to need to do a little bit more. Most of the programs that are currently out there offer great resources, but they rely on the employee to do it themselves. And here are some pretty crazy stats. We know only about 6% of people are going to do it themselves. And the success rate of that 6% is cut in half. So that leaves 97% of the employee population who isn't getting the real help that they need. I think when you combine all of these problems, these short-term issues, you're really going to see the impact that it could have on employee retention, morale, competitive advantage, and ultimately growth. Winnie, that's a perfect segue into what, what you do specifically at Mentoro. So we've all had the experience of you know, HR brings in the person, the company, the person from the company at John Hancock or Fidelity who manages your 401k or, or, um, you know, uh, talks to you about, uh, financial wellness. What do you do as a service at Mentora that goes beyond that? 
That's a great question. And I'll preface by saying that I think all of those resources truly are excellent. But the most obvious difference that I can point out between what Mentoro does and what a 401k retirement plan advisor, investment manager, or say a record keeper, like one of the ones you mentioned, uh, can be boiled down to unbiased, holistic financial education. Uh, As we've touched on, retirement or investing in general is just one piece of your overall financial picture. Uh, And most people aren't really able to see too far past today. So the resources that a retirement plan advisor or an investment manager might offer are, are usually limited solely to retirement topics or topics around investing and wealth. But what about the others? So we really try at Mentoro to focus on that full picture, that seven-step journey so that we can meet individuals where they are in life. Uh, Another point to add to that is, generally speaking, those employees that might need additional help, they can't meet uh, their goals for retirement because they're dealing with maybe some of those triage experiences like we talked about earlier. It's really challenging for them to get that assistance because they're oftentimes reduced to the asset class. Uh, where they fall and they don't meet the minimum requirement for an advisor to work with them or demonstrate potential to meet it. Uh, And that's where that unbiased piece kind of comes into the picture. Uh, Now, I'm not picking on advisors. (laughs) That's a very noble profession and there's a lot of great work that advisors do. They have to make money too, obviously. But, you know, we really try hard to find people where they are in their journey and and instill those basic principles that maybe a retirement plan advisor or other institution may not be able to help help them with. Uh, and unfortunately, the system is kind of set up to create those biased scenarios. And that leads me to a little bit more about our differentiators and really what kind of separates us. And that's that we believe in unbiased education. So although highly skilled, credentialed, and previously licensed, our educators are not registered investment advisors. Uh, So that means that we're not going to take a fee or percentage of your assets just to work with you. So we believe in human interaction. And as I mentioned earlier, 97% of the population is not going to succeed going at it alone. They're going to need that one-on-one human component. And uh, so we provide that coaching and tailored education. And then one of the pieces that really excites me is engaging technology. And obviously, a way that we're so fully connected to 3Pillar, we see our participant portal merely as a digital arm to our mentors. It helps to propel that action round the clock um, versus fully sustaining the program. Uh, It's gamified, which allows for points accrual as people improve along their journey and houses several tools and resources that reinforce that seven-step journey from an account aggregator, budget creator, debt calculator, uh, and most especially, tailored action items. So when someone takes our financial wellness assessment, it's going to pick out the vulnerabilities that they need to focus on and generate tailored action items to what they need to focus on. Advisory services alone wouldn't see the cost-reward benefit of having such a sophisticated system. Uh, And lastly is behavioral finance. 
I may know what a budget is, but if I don't know how to hold myself accountable to it, then it's a moot point, right? So behavioral finance allows us to understand our relationship with money, the why behind our actions. And we know that people feel pain two to two and a half times more than they feel a gain. So that's called loss aversion. And loss aversion is kind of the cousin to risk tolerance. When you're working with an advisor, they're going to have conversations around risk tolerance because they're wanting to know how risky you want to be with your investments. However, if we flip the script and we say, what are you willing to lose in order to gain? Or what don't you want to lose so that you can gain? It's a little bit different story, which allows us to be a a bit more introspective. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, those digital portals, the round the clock engagement, the gamification, the additional tools that you're able to have for for um, consumers and customers and, and those that you're working with, those tools on hand when when they need them and when they can have, you know, would like access to them. So that's fascinating. It, it kind of rolls right into one of the questions I wanted to to ask you about, you know, just digging deeper because it, it just plays, you know, the, the digital piece, the digital transformation piece plays such a critical role in how you're differentiating yourself in the market. Can you talk a little bit about how digital has evolved for Mentoro and the way that you engage with your customers? Uh, And did did COVID play a role in that? Did COVID pull you forward? Was it already in your plans to continue on this digital transformation journey? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, our journey within the technology space has been uh, very colorful over the years. You know, the first time that we set out to create technology because we knew that'd be such a crucial way to communicate with our participants, we, we came up with a platform and it was great, but we realized we are not software developers. <laughs> we, are, we are in financial services. So we took a different approach and we said, okay, there's no pride of authorship here. Why don't we partner with someone in the industry, someone who's already got it figured out? And so we set out to find a partner and we did find a great partner for the time being as we were building and growing other aspects of our business. However, we ultimately realized that in order for us to have control and truly meet the needs of our customers and and the best way that we can fulfill our mission, instilling financial wellness habits, would mean that we would have to go back to creating our own and find the right partner for software development. And since we've done that, it has opened so many different doors for us in terms of ways that we can customize what we're doing with our clients, the ways that we can uh, add all different types of resources and calculators, and all of that is proprietary to us. So if we hear from a client, hey, it'd be so great if you could do X. Okay, great. Let's figure out how to do it. And that's a different story than we've really been able to to talk about before. And when I think about digital and how that's played a role in COVID, you know, it's such a critical piece and it always has been. But had you asked me this question maybe before COVID, I wouldn't have relied on its benefits quite as much. I think when we look at, you know, pre-pandemic, the in-person component was like our bread and butter, where virtual was really more supplemental. 
Um, but now we realize that we can still make an impact remotely. And I think the general public is becoming more comfortable doing things digitally. Um, I know my mom, for example, didn't have a clue what Zoom was before COVID and now she's an avid user. <laughs> so you apply that same concept in theory to any other program out there and it makes a ton of sense. Uh, another thing that I think we're seeing from it is that we're opening up doors for our participants to interact with us. We still love in-person interactions, of course, but we're seeing those virtual session numbers climb. And some of those reasons are, one, it's more private. Not everybody wants to show up to a workshop on their work site about debt reduction because then all of your coworkers are going to see you and then they're going to assume that you have a problem with debt when really maybe you're just trying to have a better understanding. So now we're removing that barrier. Also, we're seeing spouses and families join in on these presentations and one-on-ones more frequently. So we're spreading the message much quicker. Availability for one-on-ones is greater. With people working from home, it's easier for them to tag in you know, a one-on-one conversation versus having to wait until we come on site. It's basically, we can boil it down to now we're kind of limitless in the ways that we can serve uh, our clients. Whitney, we're definitely glad to hear you found a, a great uh, partner on your digital transformation journey. So uh, we really appreciate that. You know, one of the things that I think we, we've heard a lot about recently is companies having a hard time retaining their talents. How, how do you think the programs that you offer at Mentor are helping people over companies and, and um, leaders overcome these challenges? Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible some of the challenges that organizations are facing. I mean, look at what we're experiencing with the Great Resignation. A record 4.3 million workers quit their job in August, according to the latest labor report. What a different conversation than from a few years ago when we were comparing the numbers to people who didn't have jobs. So it's kind of a flip in the way that we're thinking. But what I can say is that I feel people are wanting more and they're leaving because of it. The pandemic has really created a shift in what we value and expect from our companies. And I think because of that, organizations are seeing a direct impact to not only talent retention, but also talent acquisition. Also, I think due to the K-shaped recovery theory, we're now starting to see some people and companies in such dire straits financially that they're having to make these drastic changes. So companies are getting rid of some of the employee perks that they had or trying to change them to where maybe we're, we're now focused on enticing people to come back into the office, you know, and so we're taking away from some of these other benefits when really we should be kind of beefing those up, especially on the financial side because of what everybody experienced from COVID. And then we're also seeing that some of these individuals are leaving companies based on inaccurate calculations of their total compensation. So let me give you an example. We had one client with a workforce that was primarily paid hourly versus salary. And the competitor down the street offered 10 cents more on the hourly wage. And our client employees were just fleeing to them, not because they didn't like working for their current employer, but because they thought they would bring home more money and that would solve their problems. But when you really break it down with the total compensation package that they have, like the retirement plan match or employer paid health care, work home life perks like paying for their cell phone and internet or the gas that goes in their car they use for work, the numbers weren't even close. 
Again, it's that nearsightedness impacting our well-being. So my team at Mentora was able to correct the turnover issue and help uh, the company regain that retention and then also correct the paycheck-to-paycheck mindset that was causing the knee-jerk reaction to leave. I think this is a simple example that can play play out in a million different scenarios. But ultimately, employees are looking to their employers for financial security. And we think it's incumbent upon these organizations to take that parental role seriously. So Whitney, this is one of... um, These are are around... We call this the speed round. And these are Mm -hmm. questions that we ask of all of our guests. And they're kind of off the top of your head, your first, your first thought, your first answer. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and, and let's see what comes, you know, what's on the top of your head, how you're thinking about it. What's your favorite piece of technology? You know, I would really love to say something that's hip and cool, like, you know, my computer, AI, something like that. But honestly, it's probably a toss-up between my HVAC system or my cell phone. And I really have a love-hate relationship with my cell phone. So I'll go with my HVAC system and here's why. Mine went out over the, sub, uh, over the summer. And not only did it cost me a small fortune to replace, I was completely miserable without it. So now I'm so thankful that I have it. I, I guess, um, Southern girl at heart. <laughs> God bless air conditioning. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, then maybe we'll go to your second. You said that that love-hate relationship. What is uh, on on your iPhone? What is your most used app on your your smartphone? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say, but it's it's probably the mail app. Email is like my lifeline to most of my days. And uh, I typically can never really get to all of them. So it's like this game that I play trying to get the red dot notification to go away. But secondly, one that's a little more exciting and hands down, um, probably my favorite is the Calm app. Because I have so much going on in life, it's a great tool for me to use to stay you know, centered and grounded and be intentional with my time. Yeah, you and I, you and I share that. That's a, that's a wonderful app. What is your first recollection. So what's your first memory of your first interaction related to technology? Do you remember technology like when you were a kid or some some memory of technology? <laughs> you know, that's tough because I think I kind of grew up in the, you know, a big technology boom where, you know, we had gateway computers coming out and dial-up internet. Um, the Oregon Trail backbones. I mean, all the really great things, right? Um, but I'd say that my first memory or interaction would probably be either playing Sonic the Hedgehog on my brother's Sega or maybe playing in paint on one of my dad's computers. So, you know, thinking that I was this great abstract artist by getting all of the lines and filling them in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. When you work with other business leaders as well as students and future leaders, what's one piece of advice that you have found helpful or that you've learned throughout your career that might also be helpful to someone else? Oh, there are so many. And I think truly, if you have an open mind, open heart, open eyes, there are lessons every day that you can learn. But the one that's really impacted me the most is that you are the sum total of the average you surround yourself with. 
So if you surround yourself with slackers and excuse makers, you're probably going to start taking less accountability for your actions. But if you surround yourself with people who are constantly raising the bar, you'll probably climb higher than you ever thought you could. So this is really, really important when finding that new job or building out your team for your company and even in everyday life. And this example kind of makes me think back to group work when we were growing up in school. I absolutely hated it because there was nothing worse than getting that person on your team who you knew you were going to have to carry the weight for them the whole time. Or perhaps it was that one that you know was the control freak about everything and micromanaged you the whole time. But... You know, suffice it to say, life is nothing but group work. It's navigating family dynamics, friend circles, and work environments. Except as an adult, you probably get more of a say in the matter than you did as a kid. If not by choosing who it is that you're surrounding yourself with, then by the impact that you have to bring up that average score of your group. And as a leader, you should set the tone for success on your team and leave space for other people on the team to do the same. I tend to take a servant leadership approach by empowering my team versus using power to manage them, which I think is key. Uh, And I believe this creates a more conducive environment to uh, have interdependent teamwork, growth, and agility. All the things that we need in order to be the top financial wellness company. So for me, this simple action and, and this advice that I received has granted me exponential growth, both personally and professionally. And I could not be who I am or where I am without people around me. So I hope that helps. It does help. And I know that that will be really helpful to those in the community that listen to this podcast regularly. Um, this is one of the pieces of the, the conversations that we host, uh, episodes that we host that that we get the, some of the most feedback on it is, is around the advice and the thoughts that the leaders who join us for these conversations bestow on the community of listeners. So thank you for that. And, and Whitney, thank you so much for joining us today, for talking not only about financial health and financial literacy and the work that Mentoro does, but also that, that um, you know, keying into the digital transformation piece and what decisions you've needed to make as a leader for the company and for your, your company and, and kind of how you're approaching the world from a, from a services place as well as the, the digital role that, that technology plays in, in your world. So thank you so much. It's been a real honor to, to have you join us today. Thank you. I've enjoyed every minute uh, and I was honored to be here. So thank you. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com. Three